0: last episode we saw the death of Christ on the cross and now in this episode episode 7 we focus on his burial during the course of this episode we will see the the final moments of Matthew 27 Jesus is buried in a tomb that is offered up by Joseph of Arimathea and guards are set upon the tomb so that no one can come and remove him from that tomb. It's interesting that this would be the final moment of this work, because I think a lot of people listening would expect that the last event would be the resurrection. But David, we don't get to the resurrection here, do we?
1: No, we don't, because it's a
0: passion. What's the significance of that?
1: Well, a passion is to be performed during Holy Week on Good Friday. So, Sunday's coming, but we're not there yet. And yet, interestingly enough, we don't end
0: on a note of despair. There's a hopefulness even in the music that we're about to listen to.
1: That's because we as Christians, we are reflecting back through the lens of the resurrection.
0: After Pilate hands the body of Jesus over to Joseph of Arimathea for burial, there's a beautiful recit sung by our bass, Stephen Morshek, that reflects on the significance of everything that's gone before. The words of this recit give us a kind of redemptive historical perspective on this crucifixion and burial of Christ. It It gives us a sense of something that comes out clearly in the New Testament, the connection between the first Adam and the last, the way in which Jesus' work is the fulfillment of the solution to the problem created by the work, so to speak, of the first Adam in the fall. Uh, We talked to Stephen about the significance of this recit.
2: He takes us all the way back to the Old Testament, to the garden. In the evening when it was cool, the fall of Adam was manifest it refers to the the olive branch in the dove's mouth, which, of course, is a picture from the flood. The peace treaty with God is now made. Beautiful line for Jesus has brought to fulfillment his cross. Den Jesus hat sein Kreuz vollbracht. The word vollbracht, just studying Bach's works, his cantatas, and the two passions that we have, the word vollbracht, could fill up another podcast, probably a very, very
1: big word. (laughs) Yeah, it was a big part of our St. John podcast. Well, Bracht in German is usually translated as accomplished. could also be translated as finished, as in, it is finished. One of the seven last words of Christ on the cross, which is not in the Gospel of Matthew, which is why it doesn't appear in the St. Matthew Passion of Bach. But we know that when Christ said it is finished, he was referring to this Grand historical redemption of God that goes all the way back to the Garden, just as we've been discussing, and is is musically represented in this recitative. <laughs>
3: Am Abend kam die Taube wieder und trug ein Ölblatt in dem Munde.
4: Oh, schöne
3: Zeit, oh, Abendstunde, der Friedensschuss ist mit Gott gemacht, denn Jesus hat sein Kreuz vollbracht. Sein Leichnam kommt zur Ruh. Ach, lieber Seele, bitte du geh so,
1: if you weren't waiting for Abamedic, the alto aria, and you weren't waiting for Als Liebe, the soprano aria. The third aria in this string of pearls I keep referring to is this one coming up, Mach dich mein Herz rein. Steve, please share with us your perspective on this incredible aria.
2: As an artist, as a performer who's had the pleasure of doing this piece many times. When we get to this moment in the performance of the work, it seems as if everybody ceases to hold their breath. They let out a restful sigh. There's been so much tension. There's been so much pain and and anger in the text and in the story. And now, as the text says, Jesus has brought to fulfillment his cross, his corpse comes to rest. Of course, uh, we don't get into the resurrection in this particular piece, but the piece is nearing the end and rest is beginning to be experienced to be felt by the audience again you have these three layers the people who are performing telling the story the corrals which help the in box time would have helped the congregation to be thinking and being a part of this and then the arias dig deeper into the heart of the individual and that leads us to this last aria which I think is often if you ask people what is your favorite aria of the Bach Saint Matthew Passion, many people are going to say it's this aria, Machadich Mein Herz Rein.
1: Such a joyous piece. It is. From beginning to just just absolutely full of joy. Yeah.
2: There are there are so many images, again here, so many musical images. There's a clear image of being rocked, as if it's a lullaby. That image of being rocked is communicated in the beautiful eighth note patterns in the bass line. dum this rocking motion. But then you have the obligato instrument, the oboe, da it's almost like washing, it's like water being poured over you very gently. That's the image that comes to my mind. And so the text, make yourself pure, my heart. I want to bury Jesus himself within me, for he now within me shall have sweet rest.
1: Yeah. The meter here is twelve eight, the same meter as the opening chorus of the whole piece. Here it's used to rock as you suggest. Almost like a lullaby, very gentle. Yeah. In the the same figure that Deem Bom 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 is is almost agitated in the opening chorus. It sort of spurs us on and brings mm-hmm. us into into the tragedy. So in my mind it sort of bookends because it's very near the end of the passion, this aria, the progression from that anxiety mm-hmm. of the first yep. chorus. Come you daughters, help me mourn to this place of coming into rest.
2: I've never thought of that. Uh, That's very powerful, David.
3: My head's around. my will use Ich will Jesus selbst begraben. Ich will will
1: What a worshipful piece of music. How joyous that music is. It, it just lifts my heart every time I even think about it, much less hear it. Let's acknowledge, once again, that this, this is the intent of this music, that Bach wrote it for worship on Good Friday, over 300 years ago. And that when we approach it, we, if we can keep that in mind, it'll lead us into a depth of experience. We had a chance to talk with Hannah more about this music as worship.
5: That's what I wish that more people could experience. I teach young students. And so when I say I'm going to go sing Bach's St. Matthew Passion, they haven't taken the time to sit down through something like that. And yes, it's long. And there was so much in there. But when you actually get to study and you see that Bach took his music, the music, the way things were written was to text paint, was to make that text come to life, to create an emotion inside of the listener and the, and the musicians that you can't explain how that emotion came out. Immense pain or immense joy came through the music. And that's, that's worship, right? That's one thing that I, I want us to be able to get back to is just to see, yeah, that's what Bach's whole intention was. Soli Deo Gloria is what he wrote after everything he wrote.
1: Well, in the wide range of experience of worship, and emotion it's no it's not all happy praise and worship music like we think of today it takes in laments. it takes in every every human experience within the elements of worship
0: that's a great point i think part of me says you know listening to this music can help us recover the sense of worship in the concert hall but then the other part of me is like listening to this music can help us in worship to recover the fullness of worship hmm as opposed to the simplified four chords of worship that we're <laughs> used to now.
1: That's true. I think uh, those of us who are classical musicians, we are often frustrated with, with the music in the church because it is does tend to be rather simplistic, n- not a lot of depth, and, and <laughs> either musically or emotionally or theologically a lot of times. So, I don't think you know we're not we wouldn't advocate for going back and just singing a lot of Bach in our churches in America today, but we can certainly use Bach as a model. yes, because the level of engagement uh, around around worship, around the music and worship three hundred years ago in Leipzig was so much deeper, so much richer, and involved not just the pastor and the and the music director of the church, but but theologians. Right. Uh, church leaders uh, were overseeing all right. of it and considered it to be such an important part of the life of the church.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would never say to people, hey, you should only read early church fathers and that's where your mm-hmm. theology should end. But I would say you should read them and it will enrich everything else that you do. And I, I feel like we could say the same thing with this that it's an enriching experience for a worshiper. To spend time with this music, and it will it will amplify and expand like every other form of worship that that you take this experience yeah.
5: to. I was going to say I, I feel bad sometimes for the audience members when they come to a passion or something because I feel like I get more out of it than than they probably do. So I've been able to spend that time with each individual thing. And I've, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a joy. I'm never closer to God than when I have a performance coming up. It's my chance to really dig in deep and force myself to sit down to dig in deep and to really experience what was meant to be experienced through this.
1: Well, there is that element of what you bring to it as an audience member. I, I just had a conversation last night with a woman whom I'd never met before, who was an usher at the Washington Pavilion, and she was talking about this performance and how enthralled she was wow. with the whole thing. And I sort of jokingly said, yeah, all three and a half hours of it. <laughs> and she said, I never knew how much time had passed. I had no idea how long it was. It didn't matter to me.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, that was my experience as well. We talk about the length of the piece. And when you're experiencing it, I guess time runs differently.
5: <laughs> but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay for us to sit and be indwelled in like all this music running over our heads for three and a half hours. That, what an incredible thing.
1: The penultimate piece in the St. Matthew Passion is a valedictory statement by each of four solo voices. You might think of them as the four gospel writers, each of them saying goodnight to Jesus and the response from the chorus, exactly that. Good night, my Lord.
0: It's significant as we hear these voices signing off at the end. I'm especially struck by the words you'll hear the tenor sing The toil is done which our sins made for him. As we reflect on the passion of Jesus, this is a good thing to take away from it that all of the work that was necessary in order to atone for our sins has been accomplished by Jesus at the cross. There is nothing Left that remains to be done, he has done it all, which is why we can hear the soprano sing a thousand thanks for thy passion that thou didst prize my soul's redemption so dearly.
1: our final chorus, it's been referred to as a sacred dance. It is actually a saraband, which was a a Baroque dance. And most of Bach's music is dance-like in character and is based on dances that were, were commonly known at the time. But why a dance at the end of this passion, this very seemingly sad story? Well, as we've been talking throughout this podcast, what's actually accomplished? through the passion is perhaps the most joyous event of all.
0: I think that's an interesting point to reflect on. You know, throughout this series, we've tried to really do two things, to give you musical insights on the one hand and also theological insights on the other. But honestly, as I hope you can see, the lines between those two things oftentimes really blur. And I think this is a great example. This final chorus does have a a joyous and celebratory tone, and it invites you to ask the question, why? Now, why would it be that on Good Friday, as we reflect on the death and burial of Christ, that the tone would be so celebratory? I think the reason for this can be found in the words that are being sung your grave and tombstone shall for the unquiet conscience be a comfortable pillow and the soul's resting place. Think about that for a moment, the idea that that Christ's resting place, where his body rests in the tomb, can become a place of rest for the sinner's soul because all the anxiety of sin, all of the anxiety of the consequences of sin is laid to rest with the death of christ because all that sin has been atoned for and i think this is the reason why it can be a joyous observation because the significance of what we've seen is that we are liberated from the burden of sin so we
1: have a good reason to dance as i listen to the end of this passion i I can't help but think of what it must have been like in leipzig to go to church on Good Friday for probably a good six hours. Chances are I would not have heard music since the Sunday before. Life was pretty quiet. You know, you might have gone to a beer hall and sung a couple of songs, but but otherwise music was pretty much absent in your life, so it was pretty joyous occasion to be able to experience great music in the church. And then we come on Good Friday together and we we worship. In this way, we reflect very meaningfully and we go home with this final chorus in our ears, knowing that on Sunday morning, we'll come back and hear truly celebratory music written by the genius Bach himself.
0: And if you followed us on this journey through these seven episodes, we hope that you can hear this music in exactly the same way. We're going to close this episode and this season with this final chorus reflecting on and celebrating the results of the death and burial of Jesus Christ.